Mark said he'd heckle. So if he does, can someone else heckle over him so no one can hear him? Thanks. Um, okay. Well, I was just going to start straight away, but uh, I don't think I will. Um, I just wanted to thank Nia for the worship this morning and to thank her for the uh, word of encouragement slash correction that she brought to us about how we were singing because actually I thought that was really powerful and really led us into a deeper place of worship, so thank you. Um, when we were singing here for you and just welcoming God, it struck me how incredible it is that we can welcome God when he was the one who first welcomed us into his presence. And I just, um, I know we've done a lot of like practical things today, but I just wanted us to kind of think back for a moment just, just to that time of worship and to the, um, just the stunning fact that God is so for us and that his love is so lavish and so powerful and so beautiful and the fact that we can welcome him after he first welcomed us. So I just wanted us to take our hearts back there for a moment before I just start saying lots of words, um, which I'm sure will be from the Lord. But um, Yeah, we just thank you so much, God, that we can welcome you and that you welcomed us first mm-hmm. and that we can love because you loved us first and that your love is so powerful and stunning and reckless and overwhelming and amazing. And we just open our hearts, we open our whole lives to you and we receive your love Lord we receive your smile over us we just love you Lord we love being with you Father Mm, okay Um, I also thought this was a good opportunity for me to start by sharing a bit of a testimony and a bit about me because I'm aware that probably a lot of you have absolutely no idea who I am (laughs) apart from that I do worship stuff so I'm actually going to speak about 2 Kings chapter 6 today. Um, So I'm going to speak about um, battle. I'm going to continue with Mark's series. Mark really helpfully told me that there was absolutely no direction for this preach. So I could just pick whatever I wanted, which was supremely unhelpful. Um, But about, I don't know, five or six weeks ago, God, I was praying and just saying, God, I actually have no idea what to preach about. And he just said, 2 Kings chapter 6. So I turned to it, and it turned out to be completely applicable to this series on battle. So I'm going to continue with that series. And I thought I'd start just by telling you a bit about why, why I'm talking on battle and what God has been doing with um, Mike and me, but me specifically, to do with battle over really the last year. So... Um, It has been such a powerful teaching series. I mean, I don't know how you guys have felt when you've been, we know we've been receiving the word on Sunday mornings. But for me, it has been so powerful hearing about these these things we can actually do, these ways we can change our stance when we find ourselves in these challenging situations. Um, I found myself, I've had, well, three really challenging situations. A couple of years ago, Um, Some of you will remember my cousin, actually, who was very sick. You guys prayed for her um, for for a number of years. And she passed away a couple of years ago. And it was a battle that we lost. And I have, at the time, just had no framework to understand why we lost that battle. Um, In many ways, actually, the battle was won because her her faith and her 
her experience of Jesus in that time was profound and amazing. So actually, I don't believe it was a completely lost battle. Um, but we, we didn't see her healed. So in that sense, it was a lost battle. And then um, I'm just going to be really open and vulnerable with you. I'll try not to cry. Um, so this year, Mike and I lost two babies. So we lost a baby in um, March, at the beginning of March, and then we lost our second baby in May. So we've been through this um, period of time where we've lost some battles. And I mean, we were really fighting. <laughs> um, and this series has equipped me again. I sort of worshipped through those losses the best way I knew how. But this series has, I don't know about you, but for me, it's re-equipped me having experienced some losses to reposition myself for victories going forward, um, which has been a really powerful thing for me. Um, and I kind of realized, actually, even just in the worship today, that those losses, I've really experienced the presence of God in the midst of all of that, but I kind of lost the, the knowledge and the like, conviction of the Lord's lavish love and the fact that he is so for us. And he's not waiting for us to prove ourselves. And I was planning this. And, you know, I, felt, I was so nervous and I was so afraid. I was thinking, Mark is such a good teacher. How am I going to stand up and teach in this place where Mark teaches every week? And you are so used to receiving this, like, outstanding teaching. And then I realized that was called fear of man. And that was wrong and sinful. So I had to pray and apologize to the Lord. And I just, like, even this morning, the Lord reminded me he is for us. And this story that we're going to be looking at today is all about how the Lord is for us. And um, if our eyes are just opened, we can see that. So, okay, that was the preface. I'm going to shut my notebook now, then I won't get distracted. Also, I'm a teacher, by the way. So I'm used to doing this in front of teenagers. Uh, so. It's not a lot different. Yeah, I don't know. I think I feel more comfortable in front of teenagers. Um, so, so the Lord put this Old Testament story on my heart, 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's the story of Elisha defeating some Aramean raiders who had um, come to capture him. And I'm going to be focusing on two key themes. First of all, the role of prophets and the prophetic in battle. And secondly, how to use our spiritual eyes in battle. Um, I should give you the caveat that I was reading some commentaries and doing some research when I was preparing, so I cannot take 100% credit for all of the thoughts in this preach. But I think that's just diligent preparation, so, you know. Um, I do think that this is, there are some timely insights here for us as a, as a particular church family. So, let's start by reading through the whole passage. It should come up on the screen. Um, but the screen isn't very big, so you might want to turn to it because it's quite a long story. So 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 8. And I think my translation is a NASB. Um, now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, 
Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king. Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he's in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of, ha of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. When they had come into Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. So it's an awesome story. Great, great story. Um, so just to start with a little bit of context for you before we kind of go through the story in a bit more depth. Actually, a helpful piece of background for you is that I studied theology. So my, um, I, I enjoy really digging into the text and kind of doing a bit of exegesis because that's what I was trained to do. So that's going to be the style of this preach, just to warn you. So a bit of context. At this point, the kings of Israel were in a relatively stable place. Um, so they've had the evil king um, Ahab, the situation has improved somewhat and they have this new king called Jehoram who's on the throne. He's fairly honest and he does listen to Elisha as we can see from this story but he is worldly and changeable and if we were to read on to the end of this chapter we would see that he has a really rapid change of heart towards Elisha and towards the Lord. Um, so he listens to Elisha but I mean he is not someone whose heart is really after the Lord. Um, the Arameans who had surrounded Elisha were a group of raiders. So at this point, threats to the nation of Israel were mainly coming from these groups of raiders rather than from a full-scale national war. Um, so the Israelites are in this situation, and the first key to their win, really, in this battle is to listen to their prophet. Elisha is so focused on the Lord and so spiritually aware and so in tune with what the Lord is saying that he knows what the Aramean king is planning when he says it in his bedroom before he's even given the command to his soldiers to move. So there's a really important lesson, I think, for us here. Um, prophetic insight, it's the same for us now. Prophe prophetic 
um, insight and um, discernment, that's the word I'm looking for, is open to all of us. It's something that the Lord has for all of us. And that insight gives us the power to preempt the movements and the strategies of the enemy um, and to prepare ourselves to meet the enemy head on. So it actually said in the story that the Lord warned Elisha, the people paid attention to the prophet and they guarded themselves more than once or twice. So they're in this situation where there are numerous things coming against them multiple times, but by responding to their prophet, who is hearing from the Lord so clearly, um, they preempt the strategy of the enemy and actually win victories by preempting the enemy without even needing to engage the enemy. Um, so we can do the same today. It's a great advantage to us to be warned of the enemy's strategies um, and to equip ourselves to defend ourselves and to keep on standing. I'm going to come back to that um, towards the end. So the Arameans eventually catch on and realize that the key to their losses is to do with this man of God, Elisha. So they send their armies to surround Dothan, where Elisha is staying, and the weapons that they sent, the chariots, the horses, were the most advanced weapons which were available at this particular time. So they're get, getting out the big guns, basically. And it would have been a fearsome sight for Elisha's servant, who gets up for a normal day, whatever that means, and is suddenly confronted with the sight of this fearsome army. And to see so many soldiers standing against him and, and Elisha. And his natural response, um, which I think is often like ours, I'll speak for myself, often like mine, is to cry out, ah, what am I going to do? How will we survive? Um, how often have we looked at the physical situation around us and just cried out to the Lord in fear at, at the situation that we find ourselves in? And it made me think, actually, of the situation where uh, <laughs> Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. This is also one of my favorite stories. Um, and there's that storm on Lake Galilee in, in Mark chapter 4. And we see exactly the same thing. So um, the disciples have just been hearing all this teaching from Jesus, this powerful teaching. They've seen him do all these miracles um, in much the same way that Elisha's servant at the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 6 had just seen the Lord working through Elisha to make an axe head float in the river. You know that story. Um, so both the disciples who were in the boat and Elisha's servant had just seen a display of the power of God. But when their situation changes and they find themselves either surrounded by an army or stuck in a storm, um, they absolutely panic. Jesus is having a nap, which I completely love. He's just, <laughs> he's so chilled. And the disciples are panicking and doubtful and fearful about what on earth is going to happen to them. And they're fearful that they would die. And well, that story just makes me laugh. Um, I think it's a great story. Psalm 3 verse 6, I think I've got this on the slide, um, says, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. I mean, there's so many examples, I'm just going to give you three. Psalm 27 verse 3 says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. 
And Psalm 34 verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. The word is so, so clear in telling us that we mustn't fear despite what our physical eyes see. So whether it's a storm like the one the disciples saw or an army encamped around us, whatever our physical eyes see, there's something else far greater and more powerful going on spiritually. And Mark has taught us about that consistently over the last few weeks. Um, When he talks about the victory of Jesus on the cross and the fact that that victory has been won and it's ours and it's there for the taking, it's there for us to receive it. Um, So whatever our physical eyes see, there is this far greater, far more powerful reality, which is this victory, which has already been won, which is ours to claim, which is just awesome. So back to two kings. Elisha's response to his servant is, I believe, really insightful for us about how to um, deal with fear when it arises in ourselves but also how to challenge fear when we see it in others, in in our brothers and sisters, our our family around us. Um, Elisha, he'd already perceived what was happening. He didn't need his servant to come and tell him that there was an army outside. He already knew. He also knew who else was there. Um, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He does. However, Elisha was alert and aware in this particular context. I think he was probably very calm and relaxed and confident from the the response that he gives to his servant. He he doesn't offer his servant empty words. Um, He doesn't try and persuade him that there's a spiritual army there. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry. Look, can't you see? Da, 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 da. He, doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. Um, he doesn't even really offer comfort. <laughs> he just says, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then he prayed and said, oh, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. That is such a powerful response. He offers this biblical reassurance, do not fear with this concrete reason why his servant does not need to fear, because there are more who are with us. It's it's true for us. There are more who are with us than those who are against us. And most notably, he did not ask God to change the situation. Elisha did not ask God to take the army away. He prayed that God would open his servant's eyes to the spiritual reality surrounding them, of the multitude of fiery chariots and horses of the Lord which were ready to fight on their behalf. So he didn't ask God to change the situation. He prayed that God would open his servant's eyes to see the spiritual reality beyond the physical situation, which is that there were more who were for them than who were against them. And seeing that reality totally removes fear and gives a strategy for what to do. I wonder how often our first prayer response, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for for things to change, like for people to be healed. Don't hear what I'm not saying. That's not what I'm saying. But I wonder how often our first prayer response is for God to just change the situation. But what might the difference be if our initial prayer response is to ask God to open our eyes to the spiritual power 
that he's given us and to the victory he's given us and to the spiritual reality surrounding us instead and to get our strategy from that place and then to move forward. Um, And as I was just thinking about this, I was thinking about the number of times that I have almost tried to open my own eyes out of my own effort. And actually, Elisha is so insightful because he just, he, he prays. And the work of opening our spiritual eyes is God's to do. We, we can, you know, read the word and immerse ourselves in the presence of God, but it is the Lord who opens, who opens our eyes. Um, and Jesus said, you know, I came to give um, sight to the blind, and, um, but to make those who see unable to see. Um, God is so willing and so able to do this work of opening our spiritual eyes with all of us. Um, like I said before, it's not just the work of a few prophets anymore to hear the voice of God and to discern and perceive um, what's happening in the spiritual. That, that gift, that discernment is open to all of us. And it's the Lord's work to complete if we would just just ask, Lord, open our eyes. Um, something else which is, I think, really awesome is that Elisha's servant's lack of perception didn't change the truth of the spiritual reality that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. Um, if we can't perceive something, doesn't mean it's not true. Um, and if we can't perceive something, but somebody else can, like, get close to that person and ask God to open your eyes so you can perceive what what they perceive and see what they see. Um, I believe this is why it's so important for us to um, listen to and honour and just pay attention to the people who we know in our personal lives, in our, our nuclear families, in our church family, those people who are the okay wait let me go back a step so so the prophetic and discernment is open to all of us but there are some people who are raised up as voices as prophets as a as a vocational thing i really believe that it's part of that fivefold ministry that the new testament talks about and that discernment is open to us all and the lord wants to speak to all of us but i believe that there are specific people who are positioned by god to speak into the life of a church the life of a nation and to give direction And I believe it's really important for us as a church family or in our own lives or in our nuclear families, wherever, to recognise who those people are and to pay attention to what they are perceiving um, and to honour them because there is this real insight that, that they bring which can inform our strategy and inform the way that we do battle. Um. So I would just encourage you, if, if you're you know, wanting to ask the Lord to open your spiritual eyes to see that reality more, seek out someone who you know is what I would call a gatekeeper or a prophet and just come alongside them and get them to, to call that out in you and to come alongside you in that. Um, okay. We've done three pages. We've got two more. <laughs> just so you know where we're up to. Um, so... There was a quote that I came across when I was preparing by a scholar called Morgan who said, I really like this, faith is never the imagining of unreal things. It is the grip of things which cannot be demonstrated to the senses, but which are real. The chariots of horses and fire were actually there. And we have that same army of God, those same angels around us. 
Psalm 34 verse 7, which we read earlier about the angel of the Lord encamping around us, that isn't time bound. That's, that's truth. That's in the word. Um, another, another scholar called Mayer said, if our eyes were opened, we should see the angel hosts as an encircling fence of fire. But whether we see them or not, they're certainly there. When we're in the midst of battle and all we can seemly, seemingly perceive are earthly troubles and armies surrounding us and, and storms, um, and all we see are spiritual forces of darkness, we just need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to perceive the truth of the situation. The angel of the Lord encamped around us. Um, so, back to the story. After the servant's eyes are opened, um, the Lord answers Elisha's second prayer to make the Arameans blind so that they don't recognize where they're traveling. Eventually, they end up in Samaria, which was the kind of capital of Israel at the time, and it's where King Jehoram was living. And when they arrive, Elisha's quick to give direction to the king of Israel, who immediately assumes that they should all be killed. Um, Elisha doesn't operate in the way that the earthly king expects him to. He offers food and rest to the raiders. Um, Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Um, Elisha demonstrates the duty to um, love the enemy, which Jesus himself commanded us about um, in Matthew 5 in um, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to just read the whole section. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, Whoever your ites are, as Mark said a few weeks ago, um, we're called to demonstrate the love of Christ to those who surround us to do us harm. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And it's for this reason that it's so important that we ask God to open our eyes so we perceive what he is doing so that we can show that love to our enemies because actually the people, the earthly people who might be wanting to cause us harm, they're not the root of the problem. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. Um, okay. I just want to... I'm going to do some reflection and prayer points right at the end. But before I do that, I, I just think the word has better things to say than I do. <laughs> Because the word is God's word. So I wanted to um, just leave you with a few more scriptures um, to encourage, just to encourage us that the truth is that God's chariots do surround us now, the same way they surrounded Elisha. Um, yeah, so I'll just read these scriptures. They're great. Hebrews 13, verse 5 to 6 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
What can mere mortals do to me? And Psalm 91 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you for your your power and your presence, which surrounds us all the time. Thank you that you promised you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. Lord God, we believe that you surround us just in the same way that you surrounded Elisha. Mm. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom in your word. So I have three sort of reflection points and questions really that I want to leave with you. Um, We'll have some ministry time at the end. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up because I think they have another song, um, which it would be great to do together. Um, And we'll have some ministry time for those of you who want ministry. When I've read out these these points, feel free to come forward and to, to have some prayer with someone. If you would rather stay where you are and just reflect, that's fine too. Um, So three questions. The first thing, I just want to go back to that thing about um, honouring our our prophets and our gatekeepers and and paying attention to their spiritual insight. Um, Who are the prophets and the gatekeepers in our church family here? Um, Who is seeing things in the spiritual and getting the strategy of God um, for the battles that, that we're in. Um, if you feel that you are a prophet or a gatekeeper, I just I want to invite you to come and get prayer at the end and just to get, get the Lord to give you a fresh anointing. Um, secondly, how can we minister other people out of a position of fear, as Elisha did with his servant? Um, are we quick to offer advice and earthly counsel like when Mark was talking about you know getting on the phone and complaining to our friends when someone else gets on the phone and complains to you what's what is our response how can we minister like Elisha did with biblical truth and prayer that people's eyes are opened um and lastly do you know that the army of God is encamped around you Are your spiritual eyes open? I know that I want mine to be more open, (laughs) always more open. Um, So if you would like prayer for more spiritual insight and um, 
for your eyes to be open, then you can come forward too. Can the worship team come up?